Hi, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. For months, we take time to prepare and educate ourselves on this new adventure of motherhood. But as we all know, once the baby is born, we're still left with so many questions and need all the help we can get. Women really should have a sense of empowerment as they begin to experience these life-changing moments. And no one mother has it all figured out. However, the more informed we are, the better decisions we can make that will positively affect us and our family. And that's what this podcast is about. Sharing honest, raw, and real conversations about motherhood, life, and all of the crazy, messy, beautiful in-betweens to hopefully educate, empower, and support the next mother on her motherhood journey. So sit back and enjoy. As a busy mom... I need style, simplicity, and convenience when it comes to my wardrobe. And I am so glad that I learned about Modern Mom Style Box. It's been a game changer for me. It's a monthly clothing rental subscription service where you stock your virtual closet and receive a box of cute styles that you've selected. You can try them on and either hang on to them for the month, you can purchase them at a reasonable price, or you can just return them in a prepaid shipping label when you're done. And you can receive multiple boxes with your month's subscription. Sizes go up to 4X and they have popular brands like Ann Taylor, Banana Republic, French Connection, and more. I want you to try it yourself for free for one month. So head on over to www.modernmomstyle.com to start your free trial today and tell them that Nicole from Mamas Know Best sent you. Hello and welcome to the Mamas Know Best. We got something to say podcast. I have a very special guest, Dr. Susan Landers. Dr. Landers practiced neonatology the critical care of sick infants and premature babies for over 30 years. While working full-time, she also raised three children, all to young adulthood. Her children presented her with many typical maternal trials and triumphs. She is an expert in breastfeeding medicine and donor human milk banking, and she served as a regional and national instructor for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Her mission is to support and serve other working mothers while they attempt or even struggle to balance their work and their family life. Dr. Landers, thank you so much for coming on. How are you today? Oh, fine. Thanks for the invitation. I think your podcast is wonderful. Thank you so much. So I'm actually switching it around. Usually I ask these questions at the end, but I'm going to do my icebreaker round ahead of time. Just ask like what your favorite book is and things like that. So first off, what is your favorite book? Oh, wow. Um, I love uh, The Nightingale. That is a uh, historical fiction about World War II, a woman in France who worked to take the soldiers, the British soldiers who were downed in their airplanes in France over to safety in Spain. I just think that's the most wonderful book. And I fell in love with the character The Nightingale. I'm a member of a book club, and I love that because all my friends read great books, and we all suggest them for each other. I love that. Yeah, I'm an avid reader, and I had a goal last year, didn't hit it, but hopefully this year that I'll kind of get back into it because I, I love to read, which is why that's one of my questions on my list. But if there's also a book that you would like to recommend to the mothers out there, to parents, do you know what book that would be? The best book for parents, I think, is The Whole Brain Child. Oh, I'm actually reading that. Yes. yes. That, it, it's, it's a difficult read, but it's well worth it. Packed with science. It's written by a PhD psychologist who has done research in child development his whole career, Dan Siegel. And he has a number of books out about child development. But his basic seminal work is the whole brain child. Yeah, great book. It's not a funny story. So it's yeah, it's an a easy little, read. No. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And actually I started reading it in 2021 and then I kind of got away, but it's on my nightstand because it's one of those things that you can go back to. Right. He has great stories. So you're the fourth person to recommend that book that's in the space of you know, medicine or working with children or parents. So that's that's cool. Okay. Who makes up your village? Oh, my village is girlfriends. I have a lot of nurse women girlfriends. One's a nurse practitioner, one's a research nurse. My book club friends, my church group. I was also a member of a handbell choir at my church for the last seven years. And I took a little time off um, this year because of an attic fire in our home. 
we had a chimney fire that caught our attic on fire. And fortunately, the smoke alarms worked well. And the firemen came and the fire was put out. But we've had to undo the house and pack everything out and get the smoke smell out. And we're living in a rental house. So that was a lot of back and forth. And I didn't feel like I could devote the time I needed. But my village is mainly women friends. And I have a wonderful husband. We've been married for 38 years. He's a great listener. He's not very good at talking about his feelings. When I sit down and try to pull it out of him, he'll he'll open up. But he's always been a sounding board for me throughout all the phases of my life. He has been. That's awesome. And goodness, so sorry to hear about the fire. Did you lose anything, any materialistic or anything? No, we didn't. We were really lucky. The fire was in the attic above a den in the second floor. And there were a couple of game closets filled with uh, toys and games and blocks and old things that got real smoky and sooty and had to be thrown away. But there was no structural damage at all. We were so fortunate. Oh, and those firefighters were so professional. When they ran into my house to see where the fire was coming from, they took a family portrait that was over the fireplace, carefully off the wall, set it on the couch, and then banged a hole in the wall to try to figure out where the fire was. Wow. Yes. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) They know. Yes. That's awesome. And yeah, thankfully no one got hurt and... You know, I mean, of course, things can be replaced, but you hear of people losing like really important things, you know, so that's that's awesome. What is your superpower? Oh, my superpower is um, getting things done. I have always been, whether it's stubborn or uh, driven, I've been graced with a lot of perseverance, a lot of determination. Whenever I get something in my mind to do it, I can do it. Not immediately, but so I I, I don't know if it's stubbornness or if it's really a deep sense of purpose. And in writing the book, that sense of purpose and meaning was actually replenished. I felt like as I was writing my stories that I would be able to help other women And a couple of my friends said, you've been through about everything you can go through. Your three kids are, you know, did this, that, and the other thing. Why don't you tell stories not only about your work, but also about your children growing up? And I said, that's a good idea. Because when I talk to moms in the NICU, in the neonatal intensive care unit, they would say, oh, I'm sure your children are perfect. You're a pediatrician. Everything is perfect. You know how to do everything. I'm going, no way. I do not. I make all the regular mistakes like every other mom, and I try to juggle everything like every other mom. And so I decided that I should write a book that might be helpful to other mothers, especially working mothers, because it's different. It is. It is different. And I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned that. And I'm, we're going to definitely talk about that. And I'm excited to talk about that. But I do think that is a good point. I think society, we have this idea that when we see someone or whatever the title is or what they do for a living that correct, they might have everything figured out. And you're like, look, I'm trying to figure it out as well. I'm just specialized in this area of medicine, but kids are kids and they come out differently and all of that. that You said it perfectly. You (laughs) summed it up beautifully. Okay. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Oh, I would go back to my thirties when I didn't have my first baby until I was 34 The second one was 37 and the third one was at 40. I think that I worried too much about being a perfect mother. I was working full tilt. I had been a doctor and been trained before I ever got married and had children. And I I spent so much time looking things up and worrying over things and checking to make sure that I was up on the uh, current information about a certain condition, whether it was a night terror or a breastfeeding problem or whatever, I think I worried too much. And I didn't, I didn't let my kids just be, I mean, I guess I did, but, but I, um, 
I had to have I had to have advice from older nannies who would say, you're doing fine. You just need to spend more time at home. Don't worry about things so much. And I actually listened to them, Nikki, and they said, your children need you as a mom. They don't need you as an expert. And I thought that was a really neat thing to learn. So if I could relive my 30s, I would try to be more relaxed as a young mother. I wonder if it has something to do, because I also had my son at 34, 35. And I wonder if it has something to do with that. I know, you know, there were some things I'm thankful for being an older mom and not being in my 20s that I'm thankful for and where we were in life, my husband and I. But on the flip side, I think my anxiety level was just heightened. And I don't know if it's because I had lived more. So I wasn't naive, right? There's something about being naive. So maybe there is something to that science because a lot of the older moms I do know or that had children later on in life had that. So it's, it's an interesting aspect of that, which again, we will we'll get back into. Yeah, and, and it talk, may talk be later. that we delay childbearing for such a long time when we finally get there, we want it to be perfect. It's so true. It's so true. And we're there and we're like protecting our children and knowing this and want, not wanting anything to go wrong. Yeah, maybe maybe it's along those lines, but it's definitely something common, I'll say. I'll have two more questions and then we'll jump right into specifically what you do, your book and everything. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? I would go to London. I love London, England. I would live there for a while and really get into the culture and really go to the museums and really listen to the music. Although right now all the theaters and symphonies are closed up, but I've, you know, I've visited London a little bit here and there, but I've always wanted to go over there and just see how the British do things. Every book that I read that's written by a British author is just so brilliant. And they seem so calm compared to Americans. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, I love England. And I agree. I think Europeans are a lot different. We're, they, they definitely take life a lot more slower than we do as Americans. Yes. Okay. What are you most looking forward to in 2022? I am looking forward to some trips. We had a trip planned in April from Paris to Prague on a Viking river cruise, and my husband just canceled it. So I'm looking forward to another trip that we can put off until further in the year and really get away and see some parts of Europe that we've never seen. I don't think we travel enough. We've both been retired about four or five years and we promised each other that we would travel when we retired. And then this dang pandemic came along and we've been staying careful since we're both older. So it's really uh, damped our traveling curiosity. Yeah, well, let's put out their positive energy, positive vibes that 2022, you will be able, even if it's a couple of trips that you'll be able to do something. It's always good to look forward to that. I think I'm in a place too. My husband and I were talking and I'm like, look, again, they say it's, this is not going anywhere. All we can do is continue to try and stay healthy, take care. We wash our hands, you know, wearing the masks, you know, people are vaccinated. What else can we do? You know, I don't think we could continue to let it to where we're like, we can't live our life to some degree, to some degree. It's funny because I think I still have some anxiety of large crowds. I don't think I can do large crowds like to where we're stuck in a room. I'm not comfortable with that. But like I'll fly and I don't mind flying with the mask on. Like I'm completely okay with that. And then we just stay, you know, we stay to ourselves. Yes. So hoping that 2022, you get to travel at least a couple of times for your, for, with you and your husband. So now let's get into who Dr. Landers is, what Dr. Landers does. So before we jump into you becoming a neonatologist, anything else you want to talk about? I know you said you had three children, what their ages are, all of that. And then we'll discuss your journey into becoming a NICU doctor. My children are all grown. My son is 30. Eight, and he's a cinematographer living in Los Angeles. He is my IT support person. <laughs> Whenever I have any trouble with video or audio or recording or computer, he'll jump on my computer and help me sort through what's going on. And in his spare time, he's making commercials and hopefully we'll get hired onto a movie. My daughter is a nurse in the pediatric ICU 
working at Dell Children's Hospital. And so she and I will share stories. She came home just the other day and said, Mom, we have a 21-month-old baby on the ventilator with COVID pneumonia. I went, oh, God, that's so heartbreaking. So she, you know, she's typical of NICU and PICU nurses. They, you know, they take everything to heart because you see so many bad things happening to little children that you just say, oh, but by the grace of God, it could have been my kid. I have a younger daughter that's 30 who's uh, still finishing college and wants to be a counselor and work with troubled youth. So I have three wonderful kids, all very different. I have two grandchildren. They are fun, and I I get worked pretty hard. The four-year-old really gives me a run for my money. She is something. I had her three days last week when both her parents were busy, and I was pretty tired at the, at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's awesome. So your grandma, and how old is she, the youngest or the oldest? She's of the, the oldest. Grandma? She's going to be five in January, this month, and her baby brother is 11 months. So they're just yeah. perfect ages. Fun, fun. I just love it. It took me forever to be a grandmother. All my friends, because when you're an older mother, then you're going to be an older grandmother. Sorry to tell you, but you will be. Yes. My parents are experiencing that too, even though they had me younger, but I did wait. So my parents were like, when are you going to have a baby? When are you going to have a baby? And then, you know, thankfully it happened. But my father was like, why didn't you do this earlier? He's like, I wanted babies. And I'm like, well, this is what you got. But yeah, my, my son is four. And I say he's like four going on 15. I think the generation like, yeah, they're like little human beings. Like I know they're like little human beings, but they're like literally like ro- little grownups in yes. action. Catherine was pouting. I, I told her we couldn't stay on the playground. We had already done everything one time, and I was really tired. And I said, we got to go home. And she sat down, and she pouted. You know, she made a face. I said, Catherine, you're pouting. And she said, yes. And I went, well, pouting is not nice. That means you are unhappy that you can't get your way. And she said, I know. I get in trouble at school for pouting. <laughs> and they know. So she knows, and she's still, yes, I'm telling you, it's, it's yes, they're definitely, it's a... A lot of patience. Okay. So being a neonatologist, so I know you mentioned that your daughter also works. She's a pediatric nurse. And so she shares, or you both share similar stories of working in that. So now we want to talk about that journey. Why did you choose that profession and specialization of medicine? And then I know one of the things that you do like to discuss is basically how to balance a stressful career with family. So why don't you kind of tie that into how that was like for you working as a neonatologist? After college, I knew that I was good at science and I got accepted to medical school. I was one of 18 women in a class of 160. So back then there were not a lot of women in medicine. I did well in medical school. I decided to leave South Carolina where I grew up and I moved to Dallas, Texas, where I did my pediatric training. I always thought that I wanted to be a surgeon, but I found neonatology to be really inviting because it was so intensive and there were a lot of procedures, but also you could get to work with moms and with families. And, and that's the joy of pediatrics that people don't really understand. We have the pediatric child or baby that's our patient, but we also interact with the parents or the whole family. And that drew me to neonatology. But that was three years additional training after a pediatric residency. So I trained for six years after medical school. It's a lot of training. And I thought that I would just be a doctor and never get married and never have kids, which made me sad. You know, growing up in the South, you think you're supposed to get married and be a wife and be a mother. So uh, my husband and I discovered each other. And after a couple of years of dating, we were married. And that's why I had children late in life. Neonatology was a very intensive specialty. We work in a neonatal intensive care unit in a big hospital where babies are born, especially high-risk babies are born. So usually it's a big medical center. I was at Texas Children's Hospital 
I was at Arkansas Children's Hospital for a while. And then here in Austin, I was at Dell Children's Hospital. Full-term babies that have birth defects will require NICU care. And tiny preemies that are born early will require NICU care. And that care is 24 hours, seven days a week. There are nurses and doctors that are in the hospital. And so we take turns taking call. We sleep in the hospital at night. Um, We do a lot of procedures, lines, tubes, specialty equipment. But I liked all of that. I thought that was exciting and really wonderful and very fulfilling. I loved working with the moms. I discovered after I had children that my specialty was more intensive than I realized it would be. I discovered that it took more out of me. It stressed me more than I had anticipated. And so as I became more experienced in my work in the NICU, I also began to feel stress as a mom and as a wife. And it was hard for me to turn off that stress when I was at home. But I learned how to, in the first 10 years of my being a mother, I learned how to manage the stress of my specialty and take care of myself. My husband and I were in a great support group called Healing the Healers. It was started by a Methodist minister who was also a psychiatrist, and he invited five couples who were all medical to sit with him and his wife on Sunday afternoons and talk about our practices, our marriages, our children. We did that every other Sunday for two years, and it was the most wonderful support group. And in that group, we learned how to talk with each other honestly and openly. We learned how to identify the things that were causing us stress, the things about our specialty that were good, the things that were handicaps. And that experience really helped me to learn how to put the stress from the sick babies that I carried in the hospital, how to put it there and leave it there when I came home to be able to enjoy my husband and enjoy my children. I learned very early on that exercise was a great mood booster for me. I was running when I was a younger woman. I liked to run. I never ran far, but I ran enough to stay in shape. (laughs) And I learned that talking with my girlfriends was crucial. The doctor mom group that I had in Houston was really close and we all chatted with each other. We called each other up and asked for advice. I think it was even better than nowadays on Instagram and Facebook because we did telephone conversations and we talked to each other at work over lunch and we asked each other what solutions were there. And so I felt like you talked about my village. I felt like those other mom doctors were my village when I was a young mom. We were all kind of making it work all together at the same time. And that was really wonderful. We all had two or three kids. We had all gotten married pretty late in our careers. And so it worked out really well that I learned how to control the stress from my specialty. I learned how to compartmentalize my work life and my home life. I learned how to really communicate with my husband tell him the things that were bothering me because like all other women, you know, I thought he could read my mind. I thought he would just know what I thought and he didn't. I also learned that I had to tell him to listen, to not fix my problems, to just listen to my problems. You know, women like to be heard. They don't like to have their problems fixed for them. Husbands have a hard time with that sometimes. I mean, you really have to help them learn, honey, I just want you to listen. You don't need to fix this for me. So I think I did a pretty good job growing up as a wife and a mother. And by the time I hit my 40s, we moved to another city for a really good job that my husband had. 
I was also in the NICU in a different children's hospital. And that job proved to be challenging for me in other ways. I developed, unbelievably, postpartum depression after the birth of my third child at the age of 40. We had moved, I had a new baby, I was breastfeeding, I had a new job. It was just a big chaotic mess. And I became depressed. And at that point in time, I had therapy from a good psychiatrist and he put me on a medicine that worked. And over the process of therapy for about a year and a half, I was able to look at my issues, look at my goals, look at the things in my life that were good and the things in my life that were not serving me well. And I made a lot of changes. And my husband and I became stronger as a couple as a result of that experience. My depression resolved. My kids were happy in their new school and their new neighborhood. But the process taught me that when you have major life events, like a new job or a pandemic, or, or you move to a new city, or you lose all your friends, or your husband is happy at work and you're not, when anything big like that happens, you have to stop and examine your priorities and you have to pick which ones you really value and which ones you wanna work on and support. I was doing some research projects that I really didn't wanna do. Instead of something in the afternoon at the school that my daughter wanted me to do. So there were decisions like that to be made. And my depression and the therapy that I had after it helped me to learn how to make those choices, how to choose to do things that would keep me balanced. You asked me how I learned how to balance a stressful job and being a mom. I, I did it. I learned it by experience. I made mistakes along the way. I could examine what I had done wrong and I could try to change it. I gave my husband permission to tell me when he was worried about something. He would say, wow, that case is really bothering you. And I, I would go, yeah, just this, you know, this baby and this family is just so hard to reach. And the baby's not doing well, and I just feel so bad for this mom. And he would, he would let me talk out those frustrations, and he would help me unload those feelings so I could be more in tune with our family and our children. But it took some time. And I think if I had not had a good spouse, a supportive partner, I would not have done well. I think I would have struggled for a bit longer. It's interesting because, uh, and you you unpacked a lot there that I, I cannot wait to dive a little bit deeper with. A lot of the women on here that have said their partners are a big reason and I'm myself one of them. I'm definitely not perfect. And my husband and I have been together 10 years, so not 38 years, but in the time we have been together and have grown. And one of the things I'm a big advocate for is parents talking about what happens when children do come, things change, you change, you're no longer, you don't know what you're going to be like as a parent until you're a parent. And we only have one, but in talking with other women, they're like, you can change from the first child to the second child. So maybe the first child was good, but at some point, something inevitably changes and you have to rediscover what that is. Um, but I want to talk about the therapy aspect. So when you went to the group that you and your husband went to that healing for healers, healing which I think, the healers. Yes. That sounds amazing. Was that something that you wanted to continue throughout your career? Or did you feel like when you went, you built the foundation that you were able to carry that through? The latter. We had built a good foundation and, and we knew that talking amongst ourselves and with other couples was helpful. I always wanted to do it again in another setting, but I never found two or three couples who wanted to give it that time commitment. We had good friends where both people in the couple were doctors and we would have dinner with them at least one night a week, sometimes every other week 
and talk about our issues without the kids around. So we did a smaller version of Healing the Healers, but we allowed ourselves to tell each other medical stories to kind of get it out of our system and then to talk about what the issues were in our marriages. So then you were able then to take that, what you learned there, and were you able to help other doctors that you felt maybe they looked like they were on the way of burnout or they were on the way of certain things? Were you able to recognize that in your peers? Well, I did not do it in my 40s. I did it in my 50s and 60s. When we moved to Austin, I was in a practice that hired a number of women neonatologists younger than me. And I used to chat with them at lunch and we would have happy hours and we would have meetings and we would talk about all of those issues with our husbands, with our children, with our jobs. I really enjoyed being a mentor to those younger women doctors who were about 10 or 15 years behind me, but going through exactly the same thing. So I didn't do it with, in a couple setting, but I did do it with other professional women. And I loved it. I loved it. And it was so wonderful to hear them say, have you ever managed a so-and-so? I'll never forget the time Laura, my third, was being really challenging as a teenager. And I was sitting at lunch one day going, oh, my God, I just have this teenager from hell. She's just awful. She's wrecked cars, she skipped school, she got a tattoo, she's just driving me crazy. And this obstetrician sitting next to me, she was younger than me, she was maybe in her very early 40s, she looked at me and she said, I was like that when I was a teenager. And I went, oh my God, thank you so much for telling me that. Yes, <laughs> but it's so true. I think we look and we know that. But then when you become a mom, I don't know, I feel like you just forget all that. And you're like, oh, my God, because they're doing this, they're only going to do this. And it's not until you talk with other people. You're like, oh, wait, no, it's not going to be like this forever. Something will change. And again, I think the patience level and basically she's like, just just work with it. She's expressing herself. She's got to get things out. Ladies, are you tired of feeling overworked and underrecognized for your impact at work? And are you curious about how to do the inner work to own your worth so you can feel confident making the bold asks, negotiating for more, and creating your ideal career? Ashley Perret, a previous guest, is a successful leadership and negotiation coach who is offering you the special opportunity to experience the power of private coaching with her. She will give you the tools necessary to grow your career in your own terms by being authentic in tough conversations, building bridges through negotiation, and trusting that no is not the end. Head over to www.ownyourworth.com to book an exclusive 30-minute private consultation. I would imagine you going through, you're like, yeah, let me give back what I've learned because I could imagine, especially being a mom and working in something like the NICU where you have that in the families and seeing babies and really having to rely on your faith for that, right? And saying, okay, because of all that. But I do want you to share a powerful story of maybe a family and an infant beating kind of the odds. Are there any stories that stick out of something that you're like, oh, Oh, yes. There was a set of twins. The little girl was born at 24 weeks gestation, not very sick. That's early. Full term is 40 weeks. And she only weighed about 600 grams. Her mom had IVF, in vitro fertilization. And we took her to the NICU and took care of her. And she had this horrible sinking spell on day three. We, you know, she was very sick with an infection and we had to resuscitate her and put her on the ventilator. And her, she had a very rocky course, but ultimately did well. Her twin brother was born three weeks after she was born. Mom had laid in labor and delivery, having delivered one twin, still pregnant with the second twin. And then she delivered the second twin, who was born with exactly the same infection that the little girl had. So this was a, a germ, a bacteria that obviously mom had carried in her vagina unknowingly. We were able to treat both kids. Both of those kids did really well. And I loved getting to know that mom because it's really unusual to have 
twins delivered three weeks apart. She was a great NICU mom. She wanted those babies. She was there every day. She pumped her breast milk enough to feed twins. And I got to know her. We're still friends on Facebook. And those kids are now 12 and doing well. That's amazing. And I'm sure it's stories like that, that you're like, okay, this is, this is the miracle of life, right? Because think about that. Against beating the odds of being born 24 weeks, she's in labor and delivery. The twin comes three weeks later. And going through all this, which we can't even fathom, and they 600, you said 600 grams? Oh. Yes. Yeah. So stories like that would just fill me up and, and give me such reassurance that what I was doing was helping so many babies and so many moms and families so that when I did get stressed or when I was down about losing a baby, there was enough joy and fulfillment to overcome my fatigue or my frustrations or my stress. Sure. Well, and I would imagine instead of focusing on the ones that don't have such a great outcome, to really focus on like, okay, yes, this happened, you grieve it and you go through the motions with it. And I think in life that's in general, but to really focus on the silver linings, the ones that do make it something like that that against the odds and to really focus on that as opposed to just being like, well, this and this. And it's like, yes, that did happen, but look at also what's so great with it. Yeah. I used to love to talk to the NICU parents and I would say to them within the first few days, this is really hard. You're going to be astonished at how difficult this is. It's really hard to have a baby up here for four or five months. Uh, You will feel so lost and out of control and overwhelmed. And we're going to help you and we're going to help you touch your baby and talk to your baby. And we're going to let you hold your baby as soon as you can. And these are the things that you can do to bond with your baby until that time. This is going to be rough and it's going to be rough on your marriage. Sometimes I would say to parents, you have to go on a date You guys have been in the hospital all these nights in a row. You need to get out and be a couple and go have dinner. And they would go, no, 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 we can't do that. I would say, yes, you can. We'll call you if anything changes. And so I watched young parents, young families adapt this really challenging thing of having a baby in the NICU. And I really loved working with the parents as much as I love taking care of the babies. That's beautiful. So what compelled you to write your book? I know you mentioned, you know, that people were like, wow, you have three children and you went through trials and triumphs, you know, but what was that process like and what really compelled you to actually write a book for it? I wanted to write NICU stories to paint a picture that was realistic the good and the bad. There are some stories in my book of not so good outcomes. There are more stories of outcomes that are wonderful. And as I wrote those stories, I felt that my role as a physician had been justified, that all the hours that I was away from home, away from my children, not being the perfect mother, but being a good enough mother, I felt that, that that had all been very much worthwhile. My book club friends encouraged me to tell the stories of being a mother. I said, oh, they're just regular stories. And they said, no, that's the whole point. Put your regular stories in with all those medical stories. It'll make a better book. And so after hearing what they thought, I put the two together. I told about NICU challenges and special cases that touched me. The parents were very courageous, very brave, very exacting, very much a problem. And then they worked through things. And so I told stories that were challenges, NICU challenges. And at the same time, I told where I was in my life with my marriage and my children and how I would leave this patient and then go home to my kid and what the problem was or what the issues were. 
And so I think it makes a more interesting story because that's how we live our lives. We work and we're at home and we have our career or our profession or our job. And we're also a wife or a mother. We're not just one person. We're many different people. All of us working moms are wives, we're mothers, we're workers, we're friends, we're sisters, and we have so many different roles that we have to juggle. And as I wrote my book, I thought, well, I hope this helps other working mothers to not feel like they're alone because doctors make all the same mistakes that normal moms make. Yeah. And that's good. So basically normalizing. Can you share any of maybe some of the wisdom that you share in your book? Maybe a top one or two things that you're like, if you if there was a parent listening. Knowing that you are a good enough mother or a good enough parent is important. And what I mean by that is you cannot be there all the time. You cannot be perfect. We all make mistakes and we most of us have jobs to do. And if you have a job, that is fulfilling. And if you have a job that you like, even though you're away from your children, when you are at home with your children, you will be a better mother or a better parent. Because you have all these different aspects of yourself, you will be a good enough mother. And I think that moms nowadays need to identify that they are good enough. There's no way you can be perfect. And the sooner you understand and accept being a good enough mother or a good enough parent, the better off you'll be. I love that. Okay, so now I want to ask, I know you said you had your village that helped you get through the stressors of your career, but what did your village look like to help you work full-time, publish research papers, raise three children? What did that look like for you? And then you can add in there, Is it possible to really have it all with regards to career and family and any tips to my listeners and how to negotiate duties with their partners? Yes. Uh, First of all, you have to have the best partner in the world. I don't know how single moms do it. I guess they do it with relatives. They're angels in my eyes. Um, Because you have to divide and conquer. You have to delegate to your husband or your partner. You have to have help. We were lucky since we were both working that we could afford to have a nanny. I did not have live-in and I never had 24-hour coverage. We did a lot of ships passing in the night routines. If a kid was sick at home, we would take turns leaving work and going. So having a partner and having a helpmate was very important. Some women find that having a maid, a housekeeper, is crucial because they don't want to spend time at home doing housework. If, they, if they're working 45 or 50 hours a week, they want to be with their kids and their husband. Um, I always had great nannies, although I tell a story in the book about one that really surprised me. Um, you'll have to read the book because the story is amazing. <laughs> um, uh, I had relatives that were helpful. My mom lived far away, and so I didn't get much help from her, but my mother-in-law was very helpful. And she didn't like me very much when she first met me. She thought there was something wrong with me because I was a doctor. And after I became a mother, she, she really liked me a lot. And she was one of my biggest fans, and she would always help out. So she was part of my support group. And my friends were. I always had nurse or doctor mom friends who were going through the same stages of childhood, dealing with developmental problems that I was. Friends that I would visit with, friends that we would go on date nights, uh, you know, group dates with. And um, I don't think I could have done it without bouncing ideas off of other really smart women. I read a lot of books, but I I don't think nowadays people like to do that. I think nowadays people like to look things up on the Internet. But I did seek information. I think information is crucial for moms who really want to know that they're okay. And podcasts are a great way to do that. Podcasts 
I'm, you know, I'm old fashioned, so I'm slowly getting turned on to them. But what a great way to share wisdom and to share knowledge about being a mother, being a working mother, how to juggle it, it all. So the answer to your question on having it all is, yes, you can have it all, but it's always a trade-off. You can't be a mom and be a worker. You can't be a wife and be a friend at the same time. There's only one of you and you have to attend to what you're doing, whether it's with your child or your spouse or your friend or your mom or work and give it your best so that then you can turn and do the other thing. So you can have it all, but with trade-offs. You cannot have it all and at the same time, it's impossible. Anybody that tries to work from home with a toddler will tell you in a nanosecond, you can't do it. I bet you can do a podcast with your four-year-old in the room. There's no way you could. He would be all over everything. And so we have to learn to compartmentalize our lives. We have to see ourselves as efficient at work and good enough as a mother and great as a spouse and really good as a friend. And that's how we reach, I think, fulfillment in our lives. I agree. And I think it's accepting that and surrendering that. And it took me some time to realize that as well. And like as we spoke about earlier on of something about being older and yeah, we wait so long and then it's finally here. And I, you know, was forcing myself to be the Pinterest mom, right? I think, <laughs> you know, it's like we have so much at our disposal, my generation, that it's a little overwhelming because yes. there's so much. I think before my mom's generation, you're, you know, you're like, this is what I got. You talk, but you're not seeing it. When you're on a scroll on your phone and you're seeing this one looks like she has it all and these Pinterest things and it, you're like, I'm doing something wrong. It's very easily to think that you're as you were saying, you're not good enough when you are. And as long as you're doing your best, look, you know, my son, I don't think cares either way. I'm still his mom. He's still every five minutes. I love you, mommy. Even though I'm worrying in my head of all these other things. Right. So I think that's so key, you know, and correct. I, I have to come out to a studio and I had to accept that because I was like, oh, well, I'll be home this and this because then I can see him. And it's like, no, I have to leave my house, go down the street, come to my little studio to record a podcast so I can make sure I'm giving it 100%. And then when I go home, I leave the podcast in my laptop and I'm a mom. But it takes some time. It definitely takes some time to understand that. you know. And I think, like I said, our generation is it's taking a little bit longer too because we see so many comparisons. Because so much information. Yeah. So much information out there. So many comparisons. I don't like the Instagram comparisons. It just breaks my heart that you guys are looking at each other being pretty close to perfect. Although the, there are a lot of reels of wacky mom-child interactions that are fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think COVID has brought that out, right? The normalization of that, like, look, I'm struggling here. But yes, there are the ones where it's like this picture perfect. And I'm like, my guy just like had a temper tantrum and threw himself <laughs> on the floor because I told him he had to set the table, you know? So we're seeing more normalizing of the truth, but yes. And it took me again, it's, it's been a, of not comparing and saying, look, this is me. I'm never going to be the Pinterest mom. I do not like doing creative things, yeah. but my strengths are elsewhere. I'm nurturing. I'm this, I'm that with my child. I can be silly with him. And I focus on that. That is good my strength, for you. you know? Good for you. Yes. Cause that's all we can do. Right. And that's part of what you're saying. I'm trying to have it all is, is understanding that. And you know, it's funny, maybe you could attest to this too. I think it's also something about having the corporate because even though you're, you're a doctor, but it's still a corporate professional career. And my profession, I'm in accounting and HR. That's my background professionally. And it's something about working in corporate America of understanding right that. And I've, I've put that to motherhood of saying it's very similar of managing a team of being a leader. It's all very similar in that way of these are my strengths. And I know I'm never going to be the person in my team on the accounting side that's going to I don't know, create something in the office or if we're having something that's just not going to be me. Now, if you need analytics, if you need budgets, if you need cash flow, Excel, I'm your girl. So I had to say, well, I need to take that also over to motherhood because it's the same thing. I'm not going to be this. So why am I getting frustrated trying to create this paper mache dinosaur that that's not <laughs> I don't me. like it? And that's not me. 
right? Right, right. I read a paper just today talking about the corporate world that said that women take their maternal skills to work and support their colleagues and do their kind of mothering things with their team members and worry about who's okay and who's not okay and who needs extra time. And we do the same things at work, hopefully, like you, knowing what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are and delegating those to somebody else. So I think there's a lot to learn from being a mother that we take into the workplace. I agree. It's funny. I actually, and I don't know how I had the inkling of that, but I also knew that before I became a mom of applying to that and saying, wait a minute, I can't treat John how I treat David when John is an introvert and David is an extrovert. And I always say I should have went into psychology because the the emotional intelligence, I have a very high emotional intelligence and I connect with people. I'm very compassionate, which is unlike accountants that I know. But I say all that to say I took that with me into the workplace. And there is something to say of mothers ruling the world, right? There you go. There you go. We've solved it. (laughs) All right. So now that you are retired, you and your husband, and you know, I still see I'm on your page, you're still active, you have your book, you do speaking, obviously on my podcast. So you're still out there spreading your knowledge of all the years that you've learned and being a mom and being a a neonatologist. How do you hope to impact your community now? What are you hoping to do? I was talking to my Pilates instructor, who is a young mom about the sleep problems that her two-year-old had, and I couldn't help her with that. But she overheard me with a podcast interview, and she said, could we please have something about working mom's burnout? And I went, what do you mean? And she said, could we have a group? And I said, well, sure, I'd love to do that. So I talked to the gym where she works. There are lots of young women professionals who are moms who go there, and we're going to have a gathering in the evening in February, and we're going to talk about all the challenges of being a working mom and solutions for burnout for people who are. And I would love to support people not only with my book, but also with facilitating discussions among working moms. Now, the pandemic is going to have to kind of die down for me to be able to do that, but I would love to do that. I I don't know if it's podcast material or if it's called facilitated meetings, but I would like to do that to give back to my community. I would like to mentor younger working mothers. Love that. And it's something that's so desperately needed, I think, because of COVID and because of the virtual aspect, yours, you could do a little bit of both. If maybe you can't meet in person, a full group, but you're able to facilitate oh, a, webinar, a hybrid yeah. webinar. There's a lot of different things. Yes. Good yes, idea. Yes. Good idea. Okay. So you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a doctor, you're an author. Can you speak to some of the values and beliefs that guide your life? And why are these particular values meaningful to you? I have a strong faith. I go to church and I raise my kids in the church, although not one of them attends. That's their choice. But the foundation is there, which I think is The foundation is there. I um, grew up in a traditional household, although my mother did work outside the home. She was a, a librarian for an elementary school. In my heart, I believe that families are a crucial part of our society. And I believe that marriage is important. And it's always guided me to be um, an example of a good worker, a good mother, a good wife, a good friend as well. And so um, I have very traditional values about those things. I don't believe in divorce as a solution to problems. That's very old-fashioned, but that's what I believe. And always been willing to say things that other people are just thinking, maybe not saying. And what I mean by that is I'm not afraid of conflict. I'm not afraid of saying what an issue is or talking out about something that's a challenge if it's affecting other people's lives. 
And so I value honesty and integrity. I value faith. I value marriage and family. And even though I worked my butt off as a neonatologist, I was gone many, many, many hours in the hospital. I felt like I was a good enough mother and I was a really good doctor and I made a contribution. That's beautiful. Okay, so we're going to wind down here, but what does your morning and evening routine look like for you? What do you do to fill your cup is what I'll ask. You have a lot going on and, you know, how do you end your day and, and unwind? I love to start the day after coffee and yogurt. I start the day with some sort of exercise. I do Pilates two days a week. I do a power weight program one day and work out with a trainer and go for walks. I mentioned that I used to be a runner. So exercise is very crucial for me to keep my mood level and keep my outlook good. I like to do writing. I read like a fanatic. I read articles. I read books. I'm always learning new things. It's just, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. In the evening, the way I settle down is watch a little bit of news and then watch some good series. I'm like a Ted Lasso fanatic. I could watch Ted Lasso five times. <laughs> I just love that series. It's all about kindness and soccer. That's hilarious. <laughs> And so I wind down, I read in bed, I'll, I'll get out my iPad and I'll read for about an hour before I go to sleep. My husband doesn't like that, but that's what I do. So I know you're supposed to put your screens down an hour before you go to bed, but I don't, I don't, I confess. <laughs> I'm also, like I said, avid reader, but I also, because of technology, there's podcasts, YouTube videos I watch, and, and I love listening to people share their stories, which is probably why, you know, also compelled me to start my podcast because I love engaging um, like this. But I don't think there's any wrong way or right way. Like if that fills your cup, then do that. Now for maybe someone like me who after reading my phone or my iPad, I'm still jittery, then I, I, I can't do that. I need a book. I need something to wind down. But if that winds you down, then do what winds you down. You're basically. Right. I think it. I think that's what they really need to say is like, yeah, you're supposed to put your screens, but if that makes you happy and you're able to go to sleep after. Well, reading, reading a book takes me somewhere else. And I read, I love fiction at night. I don't read analytical papers. I don't read to learn at night. I read to go somewhere else, to settle down, to get my mind ready to go to sleep. So you pegged it exactly. It is something that we do that makes us feel good, that makes us feel cherished. I haven't taken a bath in a long time. I love bubble baths. But since the attic fire and since we're out of our home, I don't have a bathtub in this house. (laughs) It was a favorite way to fill up my cup, take a bubble bath. We have a tub, but not the way I would like to. So my husband knows. Yeah, that when four-year-old do, might be trying to get in. Well, yeah. no, and it's just not. It's there's a specific tub, and we're going to redo the bathroom. And he knows that the first thing on the list is a tub. I feel like there's something about dissolving in there and just kind of, so I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully, you get yours soon. How can my listeners connect with you? Oh, uh, I have a website, susanlandersmd.com. And on the website, I have a blog there, and I have some resources for parents, things about child development and children's milestones. There's information about my book there and links to buy the book. But I encourage your readers to check out my blog. I've really put a lot of time and attention into it. And I wanted it to be kind of general information for working moms, working parents, All of the links to social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they're all on my website, SusanLandersMD.com. Perfect. And I'll, of course, also add it to the show notes here. Okay, Susan, we're winding down. Any other final thoughts to my podcast world? Anything you want to leave with? Oh, I just love your questions. And I love your admitting that you like to engage. That is just wonderful. We have lost our ability, I think, as a culture because of social media. We've lost our ability to talk to each other and to listen, 
just the other day, I think I heard on NPR a piece about how to supercharge your brain and the way to maintain mental health is to chat with other people and to get to know others, even strangers. And that's essentially what you're doing. You didn't know me before we agreed to do this podcast. And here we've talked about some very intimate things and we've come together and we have been helpful to each other. You've said things that helped me and vice versa, I hope. And so engaging human contact, engaging in relationships is so important. And you're doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's one of the things that fills my cup. It's interesting because it can be a lot. You know, I have to do research. I come up with the outline, the list of questions to make sure my listeners get something out of it, to make sure I'm allowing my guests to speak on, you know, like it's a lot, lot. but I mean, you can ask my husband after every single conversation, I'm like, Oh my God, I just had the best conversation. He's like, was it the best? I was like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) You know, and it, it fills me up. It's amazing. And I love it, but it is something beautiful about engaging. Like you said, we didn't know each other and you know, you're from the South and I'm from New York, but I was raised in South Florida. So we're completely two different backgrounds, generations. And we were able to have a really thought provoking, intimate, wonderful conversation. And like you said, learn from each other. So I'm very thankful for my platform. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and all for, for what you do. Well, you are very welcome, my dear. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dr. Landers. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you for joining me this week on the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, NGC Consulting, where you can find them at NicoleGConsulting.com. For more motherhood resources, check out TheMotherhoodVillage.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or recommendation to a friend works too. And join us next time for another amazing conversation. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.